What a day, Rick. I tell you, I've been busy in here today, snipping away. You're a bit like Edward Scissorhands, aren't you? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit like Edward Scissorhands, except I, I brush my hair. <laughs> well, um, I suppose it's a little bit difficult if you've got scissors for hands. But yeah, we've had some we've had some fantastic guests in the chair, and we've had um, we've had Lou Mangello, which was a personal favourite of mine. Well, he, um, what a, what an inspiration! Like, there is not one part of Lou I think which is negative. No, definitely not. He's a he's a very positive, driven guy. And after that conversation, I definitely felt energised to get on with my day. I must say that definitely, definitely, definitely. And the, the sports people as well that we we've spoken to, some real legends of the game. Complete legends. Both of them are uh, great shot stoppers, safe in their hands, as uh, as we well know of Chris Kirkland and Neville Southall. Both uh, opposite sides of Liverpool, but both what brilliant blokes and really, really sort of using their influence to to really drive things forward in mental health as well. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, the sort of on on the sort of rougher side, your, your EC3 uh, was. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, he was inspirational in his own way as well, wasn't he? Really? I mean, the man the man's been there. He's done it on the highest stage, and and there he is, sort of opening up to us. Yeah, I, EC3 is very inspirational for me. I, I watched him. I've watched his journey go up and down up and down he's sort of you know he's never let it stop him and i think it's really interesting his whole control your narrative thing which i think it's something we could all we can all take from that really um, and then finally i had adam pearson in quite recently as well what an inspirational man there yeah absolutely more inspiration for you today because uh, we're going to turn up the volume now and get musical and when i say turn up the volume i don't mean in just a little way we're going <laughs> to properly turn up the volume so have you got ear defenders or headphones ready yeah, are we going to turn up to 11? Oh, uh, 11, <laughs> 11 is ticking over. Uh, we're talking a bit of death metal today uh, because uh, he's, he's someone that, well, he really does know how to tell you. Actually, I'm surprised he's going to hear a word you're going to say, really. Uh, Daniel Winterbates is the man in the chair today. Incredible. Look forward to bringing him through. Hi, Dan. How's it going? All good. How are you? Really good, thank you. Mate. Do you want to come and take a seat in the barber chair? Absolutely. Fantastic. What are we uh, going to do to your hair today, Dan? Well, it's been a long lockdown, mate, to be honest with you. So um, <laughs> I'm inadvertently growing my hair long, but I will. Uh, I definitely need to get the sides and back off, that's for sure. Yeah, of course. Actually, looking quite nice, mate. I'm enjoying it, yeah. But yeah, take the sides and back off, taper it in a little bit, make you look nice and smart, yeah? Nice. Thank you, mate. Cool. Okay, so, well, we all know you're the lead singer of Barry Tomorrow. Uh, which you're originally known for, you know, handsome front man. Uh, the last album being released in 2020 called Cannibal, with Choke being my probably uh, personal favourite of the album. It's absolutely yeah. banger, that is. Um, and uh, yeah, I actually used to front a metalcore band back in the day, many, yeah. many moons ago, called No Such Thing as a King. Um, nice. That was my dream to travel the world on stage and yeah, all the yeah. rest of it. I eventually did that, cutting hair. So it was a little bit different, you know, no sort of. Uh, fake blood and corpse painting and all that sort of stuff but um, yeah I managed to travel the world cutting hair so I managed to do it in a different way but I mean your band's been around for a long time 2006 long standing part of the British metal core scene or metal scene now um, played massive stages and all over mm. the place haven't you so but I mean how's that you know how's that been being in a band on your mental health because obviously travelling shows pressures of writing albums all the rest of it what's that been like for you being that it's kind of weird with the band because like it's probably one of the only elements of my life that I haven't ever, like, doubted. And, and certainly, yes, you know, the ins and outs, I could go in for more than half hour about the ins and outs of the music industry and the detrimental effect that actually a lot of it has on people's mental health. And certainly the pressure that we not only put on ourselves, but also, like, the music industry as a whole and the media put on us as well. But 
I think for me, like it's home. It's uh, an opportunity to express myself. Um, yeah, it's tiring. Um, but it's a moment like for me, as you just mentioned, with like barbering and cutting hair and like traveling around the world, like that's what's defined me, you know, that like the cultures and the different people that I get to meet all the time and, and hearing their stories and, and the impact that we've had making metal music, which is five dudes just going to town and, and just get, getting what we can do done and making music that we enjoy, which is, you know, difficult for a lot of people. And to be able to have the success we've had, you know, I, I can't look ever look back on it with any other mindset than just amazing, you know, like we're so lucky to be able to do that. And we're so lucky to have the downs as well as the ups, because when you first start starting a band, there aren't many downs. You just get on and, and crack on and do, but you know, the fact that you have them and the fact you have to think about a business and, and your direction and the pressure that runs alongside that, then, you know, that means that we're doing something right because it's obviously that much of a staple point of our life. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there are difficulties. I think for people that certainly in a band, like I think it's an isolating thing. I think when you start getting older and you're talking about families and getting married and having a house and kids and stuff like that's where it really takes hold of like, are you in it? are you in it, you know, and, and does, you know, how many birthdays have I missed? How many anniversaries have I missed? How many, you know, I couldn't count as many that I have, you know, I've, this year was the first year that I've spent at mm -hmm. home for my birthday in seven years. Yeah. So like, it's, it's a big deal, man. And so there is that element, but as I said, like, as long as the goods are outweighing the bads, like I often will objectively think about it in that way. Yeah, I think that's really interesting as well. You know, there's those sort of, uh, you talk about being at home, obviously not being at home a lot. And I think I found out when I was traveling with work, you know, my wife was pregnant and I was in, I was in Amsterdam doing a hair show and she was like two <laughs> days like before the, you know, the due date and all the stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of relate to that a little bit, but also as well, you know, there's this thing when I was in the band, it was always like, I want to be a signed band. I want to be a signed band. I want to be signed. And there was another guy in the band who would never sign anything. We got offered a couple of deals, and, and there was sort of like that kind of and trying to trying to collate four or five people together oh, yeah. to be on the same track. You know, how does that? How did you find that as well? It's, it's impossible, mate. And I think you come, <laughs> you you make a piece of that. Like I've I've also got another dynamic of my big brother being in the band as well. Like, <laughs> um, and joining a band that was a band prior to me joining it. You know, for a couple of years prior, like you know, doing different things, the local band, but like. You know, there's that dynamic. So we've got mm -hmm. one of the original members still in the band, our drummer, um, Adam. Um, Dav joined the band, my brother. I joined the band as his brother. And then we've kind of gone from there. Jace joined really quickly after and endorses the last member. And, I, I, you know, all from different parts of the country. Obviously, me and Dav from similar, but we're northern, moved down south. So like, um, we've got port, two Portsmouth boys and we've got a Barnsley lad. So, like, for for us, like, it's... It, you have to make peace with the fact that you aren't all going to be on a unified front all the time. Yeah. You have to make peace with the fact that, you know, we're not a band that lives together. We're not a band that, you know, is creative all the time with each other. Like that's just not our dynamic. And so you have to make peace with that in the sense that also, if you don't do that, that's also people are going to have their own lives and their own opinions and their own hierarchy of needs. And, and if you do that, it's, it, it makes it a lot easier when you do have discussions because you're understanding the different dynamics. Um, doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't mean that right. we don't argue in places. doesn't yeah. mean that we don't have moments where we're not speaking to each other for a little bit, but <laughs> like, yeah. but it's also, you know, we're also very aware that we all love to do this, you know? And, and I think if you keep reaffirming that in your heads as, as a group, like then every decision you make will be for the better of the band, not for the better of the person. 
Um, and I think you're right. I think when labels and stuff start getting involved, it starts getting difficult um, because you've then got another added layer of yeah. people having opinions. And we never really sought after being signed. We, it just happened. And then once you're on that train, I think you're, you see the ease that the money aspect of it comes into it. You know, yeah. people can support you to do what you love to do. Um, and we've never come off that train really since, you know, and we're yeah. on Sony now. And and if you'd have told me when I was 16 years old, when I joined a band that I'd be a singer of a metal band with a top 10 record and uh, signed to Sony Music, like I would have said you're lying because no band does that. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things, but it's really important for us to like have moments of reflection and kind of go, what have we achieved? And like take mm. everything else out of it, take the label out of it, take the album sold out of it, take all of that out of it. Like we have traveled around the world doing something yeah. we absolutely fundamentally love. We get on with the people that we travel around the world with, or I do with the four other members of the band and all the crew. And we get to meet fantastic human beings that enjoy metal music. Like yeah. there aren't many 30 year olds and I am 30 that have seen as many countries as I have and yeah. still being able to do something that they absolutely love. So, you know, it sounds very nicey nicey, but it, it's important to do that because when you have years like this, it sets you up a lot better for a year like this, or certainly moments like this where you can go, geez, that did mean a lot of the world. <laughs> it did mean yeah. the world to me, you know? Yeah. But also, also I think you make set you up to go, uh, like you said earlier on, appreciate being at home for a bit as well. Um, no doubt. No doubt about it. But that, that stuff you just said, you know, there's no musical differences. There's always the reasons for people splitting up when you read magazines, they have musical mm-hmm. differences. But, you know, <laughs> I think it's, uh, but it's one of those things you said, that advice there is very much good for life, not just with a band. Yeah. You're expecting other people's opinions, working down what's better for everybody rather than being about me. And I think that's become, I think that's about being self-aware. I think because of your travel, your growth and inter- interacting with so many people, that probably... Mm probably helped you like thrust forward in that in that mindset i would I, and obviously you know other things which we're going to ask you about in a second yeah. anyway but yeah i agree with you i think musical differences is often an excuse for we don't like each other like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. honestly the amount of times i've had musical differences and i've known the inner workings of a band that it's like you yeah. just hate each other you don't yeah. like each other and and that's all right yeah, like that's, that's fine. fine like it's life to that you're going to go through situations where you meet people and you go you you don't align with my values like we're not we're not compatible to work together and and i think in most other jobs you can compartmentalize and say well you know that's a job and i know because i've done one for this length of time i've been in a band like and you can kind of go well yeah i don't have to align with you but we can still go for the greater good with a band like you're it's a family so like it's a love as well isn't and it? you it's are on tour it is yeah. you are touring but like you know we talked for six and a half weeks with no days off before and you're with yeah. those people on your days off on your days on like from start of the day to the end of the day yeah. you don't have a lot of opportunity to be able to say well you know what like i'm going to leave that at work and i can go home like yeah and it's also something incredibly passionate as well like you're putting your life into something a product and if people aren't aligned in that it makes it a lot more messy whereas you know normal nine to five jobs yes you can be really passionate about you can be really driven towards i think there are nuances i do think you know barbara and exactly you know the hair industry and the model industry and the art industry and all of the creative kind of industries i do think probably align and understand that a bit more because it's a product it's a thing but 
they're not on the same level as like sitting in a room with and in a bus with people yeah. for weeks <laughs> on end. It's yeah, almost yeah. akin to like, you know, army-esque in places. Yeah. You know, you're you're yeah. they have your back, you have their back kind of thing. You know, it's very strange. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's all glamorous backstage. And so, but when I was young, actually even the hair shows and stuff I do, they're like, this is this is the green room. You're like, really? There's nothing glamorous the about <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. like we've we've done a tour bus and people think we're at well, we've done a few tour buses. Um yeah. but we People think it's all like this rock star lifestyle and it's lovely. And it's like, now yeah. imagine, I'd say to him, now imagine spending six weeks in a coffin with 15 yeah. other guys on a single bus and yeah. or an RV. And that now you imagine the smell and the smell, attitude yeah. and the grumpiness and the snoring. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a living the life, that's for sure. No, it's definitely not as glamorous as it is. It's sort of made out of it. <laughs> yeah. it's, and a lot of it's boring as well, isn't it? A lot of time just passing, trying to pass time, boring, you know, most done it with photo shoots and stuff and glamorous and models everywhere. And no one's yeah. even talking to each other <laughs> because they're all on their phones. That's it, um, yeah. With, with that, you know, like, obviously, you're a front man of a metal band. Uh, you've got a great persona. I've seen you. I think it was a download. I think I saw you. You've got a great persona. You command the crowd, all that kind of stuff. What, but it does that, you know, a lot of people will see that as actually you. That is who you are. But what is your persona like off the stage? Are you that kind of guy or is it a bit more? No, like I was, yeah, I mean, I was super introverted when I was a kid, like cripplingly um, introverted. And I wouldn't go on stage. I wouldn't do public speaking. Like mm. even that transcended into adult life as well. Like, you know, when I was asked to do my brother's speech at his wedding, like in front of all family and friends, like, <laughs> I was shaking and I was yeah. really, you know, unconfident because it's a different world, you know, like I've developed this, product which is what you know me being on stage is for 15 years of my life like it's the longest apprenticeship you'll ever have and you know and and that then in itself develops this persona of confidence because actually I'm not only presenting myself in that way because of the type of music we play and the other frontmen that I've probably taken influence of and and the crowds but I've also done it because I've developed it over that time of understanding what works as a business model, like what what's needed, always play to the crowd and continue to do so in my NHS work as well. Like I yeah. play to the people that, you know, listen and hear what they want and then you will be able to influence that. And, and so done that, but then also as a protection, you know, my own, not shy about talking about my, my own mental health depreciated or depreciated mental health and, and it's a protection, you know, me being that front man that people are like, yeah, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's, he's powerful. He's strong on stage. It's a protection for me to be able to, for people to leave me alone in that sense and kind of go, well, he's confident. He's, and you almost just like fake it to make it with masks. Like when you put on a mask, it's like in any situation, if you keep doing it over and over again, it's like when you, you force yourself to smile, there's a complex with mental health that if you keep forcing yourself to smile, it not only gives you a timestamp to be able to say, ah, I could still smile and I was feeling like that, but it also convinces your own mind and your body that you are happy or you are strong or you are powerful. So fake it to make it is an absolute <laughs> thing in mental wellness, especially. Yeah. And and so I think there's a lot of that. So when I look back, I can feel that. I can feel powerful. I can feel strong and I can feel confident. And and in that, you know, it, it helps me. I think over the years, probably I've more drifted away from the stereotypical front man, what I wanted to be to more what I am, which is like being able to talk to a crowd on a level. Yeah. But, but that again is, is confidence. You know, I, yeah. I've been in so many different situations, you know, we played thousands of shows in my life, like, and I've played anywhere from playing in front of nobody to playing in front of, you know, 50, 60, a hundred thousand people. Like, 
and everywhere in between. So there isn't a situation I've been in where I haven't gone, ah, I remember that in my head. I can deal with it in that way, whether it's heckling, whether it's people not liking us, yeah. whether it's being a really brutal festival or a really light festival. Like it's just, and that you just get used to it. It's like any job, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think that I say that about this um, the, the barbering world, the hairdressing world, you become a bit of a social chameleon. So mm. you have people sat in the chair. So I'll have a, yeah, a front man, a front man from a metal band in my chair. The next next guy will be a, a lawyer. The next guy will be <laughs> yeah. a doctor. Then there'll be someone who's a road sweeper. Then there'll be and you become a social chameleon. You kind of read the crowd and you react to them. And yeah, like I say some of my clients think I'm a respectful human being other people <laughs> yeah. know the real me yeah it's, 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 yeah, it's like it just you just yes how that's how it works and that's great and that's the sign of a good front man that you can read the crowd and react to them well and you know you touched on it there in a second ago though about the uh the nhs work you do i mean as, as if being in a huge you know top 10 huge massive well-known global band isn't enough work for you mm. you actually do a lot of, <laughs> for a lot for people as well um without a mic in your hand working for the nhs can you tell me a bit more about sometimes the- sometimes with a mic in my hand as well sometimes which is with weird. A mic, it feels very strange not to tell them to like open the pit up or something while someone stays <laughs> that'd be good at NHS yeah I, I was being close sometimes um <laughs> but yeah i mean yeah so i joined the mm. nhs like a day after my 18th birthday like my family's all been in the nhs my mum's a nurse like by background like and you know worked up to be a senior manager now in the nhs and like so it was always something i knew that i wanted to do and like do I look back and altruistically think that I did it for a bigger, better reason? Like, oh, I really wanted to just help people. No, no I joined it because it was something that I knew I could do. Yeah. And that was actually, you know, helping me facilitate being in a band because obviously you don't earn a lot of money yeah. when you first start around a band. And yeah. and so it helped me do that. But then very, very quickly, I just grew to to love it and and enjoy it and be part of it but spent many many years like compartmentalizing band and nhs and mental health as three separate boxes of my life and like it only was probably about six six or seven years ago maybe six years ago where i was like hang on a minute like and i remember vividly making a conscious decision to just say like no you're not gonna just suppress each of these areas you're not going to be a different person you're going to smash them all together and that's going to be you and Mm. and that is if i'm honest when my career kind of took off in the nhs where people were seeing that i could be different and using all that experience that i'd had talking and discussing with people over the years about you know music and mental health and mental wellness and and learning myself through my own mental health and my own journey and and it just created this product that i think the nhs were like ah here we go you know someone that is very visibly tattooed as well like yes i'm still a white straight male so i still sit on that top of the privilege pile but like there is an element of something that is a bit you know evocative for people like ah like he's not living by the boundaries he's not talking the same talk that we've talked like he will question and and i kind of gained this and it was about the same time so it's a really weird phenomenon like it was about the same time that I had my kind of mental breakdown. And so I started talking really openly about mental health, like really openly, like talking about, you know, the being upset at work, being, you know, crying in toilets because I thought someone was going to find out, like, you know, taking medication, understanding all of these kind of things, like open and honest stuff that I truly don't think we did openly in the NHS 10 yeah. years ago. And, and so for me, it was a really important part then to, to use all the skills that I had in a band world of being able to present and talk and understand 
and influence in a sense um change and so that's where my job kind of took a real big turn where now i'm uh, my current t- job title is a freedom to speak up guardian which is is there to look after people that um feel that they aren't being heard you know it came stemmed from mid staffs which was a really serious incidences of patient safety concerns and people yeah. being suppressed where they didn't have a voice yeah. um and so my job is to look look after those people and really understand and, and support their voice being heard and support them through that process as well and protect them in that process of speaking up so in that like it's it's my it's my you know meaning of life is to be able to give people platforms because actually for me i've never been it also ties in with we've never been a band that hasn't absolutely worshipped our fans yeah. through and through like a lot of bands will say oh fun to the best like like unless you're actively showing your yeah. fans that you give you know a crap about them then you're not you're not you know you're being passive you're allowing them to give you more than what you give back yeah. to them yeah. and so that's the same mindset that i go into the nhs is that i will act and sometimes to my own mental wellness and detriment to it yeah. of being like i will give everything i possibly can a hundred percent of the time to be able to try and support people having these conversations and opening up and and that's where it all kind of just smashed together and it, it just made it a lot easier as well mate to be honest with you because it, i i hadn't really recognized the amount of energy i spent changing my different hats on yeah i mean it was like crazy you know i remember vividly like playing download in front of fifty thousand people and and then going from that from a saturday on monday being on the desk at work in a suit (laughs) and booted and like no visible tattoos or anything and people being like oh you know we didn't even know and never even spoke about it they didn't know and now it's like it's just open and honest that's amazing the power of just being being you and actually allowing yourself to be you because i think we all hide behind different hats and different masks and you know, i think i i mate my i'll take all my hats off to you i mean absolutely <laughs> absolutely amazing mate. i really 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 do appreciate what you do i think it's just phenomenal um you know from being you, you know a battle fan and being a band fan and then seeing you're doing all this as well with my mission in life mm. um around mental health i just think it's absolutely brilliant and and I think with, with, being in a band it must be so difficult to be that person struggling with mental health. And I think it must be quite a lonely place to be because people look at you and go, oh, well, you've, you've got everything. You've got a signed band. You play in front of 50,000 people at download. Mm. How can, come on, you, how can you be? How can you be struggling with your mental health? You must be all right because we, we, we associate success with fame and fortune. And mm. unfortunately, if that's the only thing you ever focus on, fame and fortune, you'll never have enough fame and you'll never have enough fortune because you could always have more. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think I, it's. I think a lot of it's projection, though. If I'm really honest with you, I think when we're suffering with mental, with depreciated mental health or mental wellness, I do think we we project that image as well of like mm-hmm. people are going to judge us or you know people have this perception of me as this person and actually reality or certainly my reality has yeah. been nothing but support and nothing but yeah exactly you know and I think it's really easy to get into that mindset of like because that's what it does to you you know fight or flight as soon as you go into it you're not going to start thinking that everybody is the most considerate, amazing, compassionate human beings. You're going to start thinking that everybody is like going to judge you because you're feeling in that way, whether it's low mood or whether it's fight or flight. Like, and so I think when we're well, it's really important to open these conversations up because then people start being able to show their hand of like, Oh, I know. I'd love you to talk about that. I'd love you to talk about that. And yeah, I mean, for me, I've been really lucky. I, I, yeah, that being said, the caveat is that, you know, there is reality in people being judged for, yeah. for their mental health and certainly within more corporate worlds than, say, a band. Because yeah. I do think forever, like, our industry and the creative industry is often 
has lived intrinsically linked in this world of like you know tortured artists and yeah. you know mental health and you addictions know, and struggles what, and there was and, often yeah. that phrase wasn't there of the what makes a great artist is it that, that they are are they tortured you know and they uh, does bad depreciated mental health make a great artist or does being a great artist help you know <laughs> yeah. give them depreciated mental health and yeah. and you know you can't answer that but there is a there is certainly a level of shift that I've certainly seen over the last few years. And, you know, I did the last thing you could ever do really. The last thing, last step I had for being open and honest with our fans was really not only doing the active work that I've been doing in my own time, but also the lyrics and mm. cannibal as a whole. And, yeah. and maybe that's why it has had more success than every other album, because I finally put myself on the sword and said, you know, I'm talking about being open and honest and I've hidden everything that I've ever spoken about my own mental ones in in like metaphors and different ways of you know being a lyricist but now with cannibal i was like nah it's, this gonna... is about me and this is about my health and listen and hear and you know and it was an incredibly free in point that was probably one of the last moments that i needed to do that then and talk about it because now it's almost like well i can talk about anything really because yeah. it's open and honest and my fans will support me you know that's a nice place of security for you. And you've opened up and actually realised that it's okay to do that. And it's already accepting. I think that's the thing, isn't it? The, I always say the biggest thing I've ever did, I ever did with the Lions Bible Collective and, you know, talking about mental health, it's just publicly telling people it's okay Absolutely. to talk to me. And Absolutely. that's fine. You can talk to me. It's a safe space. Tell me whatever you want. And, and I feel honoured about it. I can't, like I said before, I can't go out in Torquay where I live without someone recognising me on a night out or whatever and coming up to me and just telling me everything, mm. literally everything. And, you know, my friends are all used to it now. They're like, oh, Tom's off, <laughs> gone for an hour. That's it, we won't see him. But, you know, and I think that is it. When we are feeling good, you touched on it beautifully. We need to tell people it's okay to talk to you. It's okay, it's mm. fine. It's not a problem. We all go through. We all have a mind. Mm. I mean, we all go through this mental health. And I think mental health is something that's seen as bipolar depression, diagnosable and negative, seen as negative terms. But we all know that physical health isn't just heart attacks, cancer, whatever. It's a whole spectrum and we all have it. So I think the sooner we recognise that we all have mental health, and um, the better. But I do think that is a big silver lining to this massive, massive black COVID cloud is that I think everybody in the last 12 months has realised that they have mental health and it can be affected and they've had low points and they're recognising it themselves because they they have to. They have to self-address. Mm. But you know, with your NHS role, what do you think it's going to look like coming out the other side of, of COVID? <laughs> I mean, I think you're right to reflect on that, you know, we've had a year of people having moments and opportunities to recognise where they sit, what is their temperature when it comes to mental wellness and mental health and is isolation affected them and has it affected their family and, and those kind of things. So, yes, silver lining off the back, you know, the, the, the negative part of that is that you've got a lot more people that are probably recognising they've either had conditions or been exacerbated by yeah. COVID or have been fully created by COVID. We had this phenomena right at the start where you had a load of people that were already diagnosed with mental health, um, you know, diagnoses and that were being fully exacerbated by the, you know, the integration of COVID into our life. Um, and now you've got people that probably hadn't had those diagnoses and it's purely COVID related yeah. that has created this mindset or you know, had a snap or a break where they've needed to, to seek support. So I think we're going to have a lot more people probably talking about it which is good uh, i think we're going to have a lot more people needing support from it which is difficult um, yeah. and you know and this is the moment where uh, we can do as much as we can in the nhs and we absolutely will and i think finally the world or certainly the uk has stepped up and said actually no the nhs is 
unreal at what they do and we yeah, you know we, we've been unreal for it since like the day dot but yeah. we finally people are going ah the nhs that's a good thing to support actually mm-hmm. and we should be calling on our government to support it and Definitely. because if they don't fund mental health services we're going to go back into a cyclical loop of yeah. where people are not people are entering a system where they are looking and yearning for support and not being able to get it yeah. there is nothing worse on this planet than than of opening up and that initial worst first step, which is, oh, I have a problem. I need to talk to someone and not being able to access those services. And that is 125% down to funding. And that is the horrible thing when you, you, you know, you think about all these people that sit on these support lines or these charitable, you know, organizations and people that work for mental health, adults and children's at the end of a phone telling someone that, you know, maybe they're going to have to wait X amount of time because they don't have capacity because they haven't been funded correctly. You can't have that conversation with people. You can't have that conversation with the thousands of people that come through. So the conversations end and the person feels let down quite rightly. So, and I get that by the NHS, they don't feel let down by the government. And that's the big thing that I think the government really needs to think about. There is going to be a lot more prevalence of people talking about mental health um, now, whatever that looks like. Definitely, definitely. I think you know this whole thing of you know if you got to wait eighteen months to see somebody, if you had a heart attack, you wouldn't have to wait eighteen months to see someone to get that sorted out, would you? And, and suicide is actually you know quite lethal. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean it's the same. Is. It's just I think I think that's a product of people talking about yeah. physical health for so much longer than yeah. Yeah, mental health. You know, and and they've realised what funding needs, um, but they haven't ever realised what the gravity i think of mental health. i mean it was only 45 years ago we had asylums and people yeah, yeah. and women being put in there for hysteria when actually they had postnatal depression so it's yeah. like you know we're, we're still on a fairly short time period of yeah. learning well i think we've started haven't we we started this conversation we we're encouraging people to talk i think you touched on it there as well i think it's really important we're telling people to talk but we need to prepare people to react well when someone does talk to you listen well and then have a bit of knowledge of how to how to you know help help them find the help they need find out Absolutely. what's around and i think we need to have all eyes and ears of the community working together and i think what we're trying to do with lions barber collective is train all the hair we'd love to train all the hair industry because we see all the communities we see the whole nation really Mm. between us and we've just been joked about forever that we're a poor man's therapist or a poor man's psychiatrist so why don't why don't we train them for these conversations they're going to have we're there for everyone so let's train yeah, them. let's help prevent ill mental health or, or poor mental yeah and peer-to-peer illness. and it is well recognized that peer-to-peer support is the, yeah. the absolute first line of defense when it comes to supporting mental wellness like having an option wherever that may be and there are probably many people that yeah. come to you guys and the whole hair industry that don't have that support network at home they don't have that support network when it comes to reaching out to mental health and and i, I agree with you I, I think you've touched on the right thing of training is so important of mm-hmm. how to react how to signpost correctly because there are diagnoses that you know none of us are, you know yeah. will be able to deal with because it is really quite tricky and you have to unpick it and whether that yeah. is through medication or therapy or combination of both like it's important that you know we recognize that and where our limitations are yes but there are far more opportunities i think within that peer-to-peer world that haven't been explored yet so it's great to see that you you certainly are exploring it in this world as well well that's exactly we we always say we're not trying to be we don't when we do the training we don't train them to diagnose or 
you know, what they should be prescribing them because we're not doctors, we're not mm. therapists. We, we are, we can bridge the gap between the communities we serve and the NHS, the resources mm. that are available and let them know because blokes don't go to the doctors for their physical health, let alone <laughs> yeah. their mental health. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's just yeah. like, we, you know, the only time blokes go to a doctor when they're growing up here in the UK is if they've had an injury on a sports field <laughs> or a mosh pit or they've yeah. been on a fight on a Friday or Saturday night. Toxic, ma- toxic masculinity at its absolute exactly. best. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? So we, we, we're conditioned not to show weakness or whatever it is. But, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's loads of people out there that have been going through stuff. What would you say, is there, is there sort of one thing you'd say to somebody, who, if they are suffering now, I mean, you're someone who's openly told everybody, you know, with, yeah. you know, so many followers. What would you say to somebody if they are struggling by themselves? I think, you know, obviously the first thing that everyone's going to say is reach out to people and, and reach out to the right people as well, which is hard to navigate. Um, because I think if you reach out to some people and they say, oh, don't worry about it, it's probably the worst damaging thing you get <laughs> to say to someone yeah. with anxiety. But yeah. I think, you know, and, and also there is a caveat to that of like, be kind to those people that you're reaching out to as well. You know, it is a difficult topic, you know, it's tough, but, you know, also be really comfortable in your own skin that this isn't just a reflection of you. You've not done anything wrong. You've not done anything that you should feel ashamed of. You're just, your brain is having a chemical reaction to something. And the minute you dehumanize that kind of thought and and depersonalize it is, is where you gain a lot of strength because actually you can always personify it in a way to say it's, it's that it's just my brain being stupid or silly or whatever. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, but I also think it's, it's, you know, I'm a massive advocate for, for mindfulness, huge advocate um, yeah. for it. And I, I want to keep talking about it because it has a lot of stigma around it being this jostics floating <laughs> hippie-esque yeah, yeah. thing. And when actually there's so much relevance in being able to stop and build in time within your diary, whether that is at the barbers and you can just put your headphones in and just have a moment or whether that is you know, taking a walk in the rain with your dog and just having that moment of not thinking about future or past and just living in the moment. It's so, so powerful and so important. And it just takes work. Um, Keep working at it and make it. And what worked for me was making mental health my hobby. Like I made it so I wanted to be the most knowledgeable about all the, you know, meditations out there, all the mindfulness techniques out there, because it not only helps me, you know, spread that to the world and talk about it but it also absolutely it's not all a selfless act like because it benefits me to know that because one size does not fit all and one one therapy won't work one mindfulness might not work one meditation might not work but you if you immerse yourself in it wholeheartedly when you're well when you need it you'll be able to pull on it like that you know yeah definitely and i think that's something really really fitting i think remember that one size doesn't fit all with everything. It's like exercise. Absolutely. Me and Rick over at reception were talking about this before you walked through the door saying exercise. I hate running and it's, mm. I like lifting weights. Yeah. People said to me, you got to go running. It's good for your mental health. It'd be detrimental to myself because I'd be thinking, Oh my God, I've got to go for that run. I hate running. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing with mindfulness. It's about finding what's right for you, isn't it? It can be meditation in the traditional sense, mm. or it can be, you know what? Turn your phone off turn the lights off and sit and watch a film and actually watch that film and be there in that moment and Absolutely. enjoy that movie. You know, and I think it's simple as that. And do you know what, Dan, I've really enjoyed cutting your hair. I've loved chatting with you. I wish I could talk with you like all day. <laughs> I really, really do. It's been really fantastic. Um, I've got my next client coming in soon. So I'm just finishing up your hair. Um, here's the back of it. What do you think? Yeah, it looks great, mate. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Do you want me to put any products in it for you today? Nah, because I'll go home and wash it because of all my hair as well. Yeah, it's all itching afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it. Brilliant. Okay, well, I'll leave you with Rick. He'll take care of the bill for you.
Amazing. Thank you. No You're problem, welcome. I look yeah, forward yeah. to seeing you next time. Well, I'm afraid, Dan, you, you were in the chair quite a long time. That's going to be a few hundred quid. <laughs> That's and fine, mate. I made you a coffee, but you didn't drink it. Well, I'm in a, I'm in a band, mate, so obviously I'm loaded. So, you know, often uh, <laughs> I'll be able to pay for it. I'll buy you a coffee next time. So. Well, it's fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing you very soon then. Thank you so much for visiting my virtual barbershop today, and I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you enjoy your haircut too. If you or anyone you know is struggling with their mental health, please take a look at the fabulous hubofhope.co.uk for all the resources in your area. I'm already looking forward to your next visit, but in between cuts, I would appreciate it if you could help Barber Talk Podcast out massively and give this podcast a review and five stars on iTunes to help the podcast get more visibility. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow so you are the first to hear the conversations from the barber chair. Oh yeah, and don't forget to book him with Rick for your next appointment. Miss you already. See you in the chair soon.